Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. The night was clear and the moon was yellow and the leaves came tumbling down. These are the lyrics to the version of the truly American blues ballad, Stagalee, that I first heard sung by Lloyd Price. And since then, I've come across many versions because the song is one of those early blues and folk songs that just kept on being sung and added to along the way. Like the House of the Rising Sun and the Ballad of John Henry, these old ballads start with a real story, and the story is not often a known one and not always clear. When you start to search for that story, the history of it slowly begins to come clear one piece at a time, like trying to put a large puzzle in place, until in this case, you find yourself standing on a street corner in the neighborhood of Deep Morgan in St. Louis on Christmas night in 1895, right at the moment when Stack Lee Shelton pulled the trigger of his 44 and shot Billy Lyons in a fight over his Stetson hat. Welcome to another episode of 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries. This one, titled The Story of Stagalee, is from our history series and takes us on a journey into the past to find the real story behind the legendary blues ballad, Stagalee. As it turns out, the basis of the song is true. Stack shot Billy in an argument over politics. One was a Republican, one was a Democrat, and a Stetson hat. The story of Stagger Lee has been sung now for over a hundred years, and it's been covered by hundreds of artists, mostly in the blues and R&B genres. One version gives us the story, told from the point of view of the bartender, of two men, one named Stagger Lee and one named Billy, who were gambling with dice late one night, and Stagger Lee threw a seven, Billy swore that he threw eight. 
Then Staggerly told Billy, I can't let you go with that. You've won all my money and my brand new Stetson hat. Stagger Lee, as the song goes, went home, got his forty-four, and returned, standing in the barroom door, gun in hand, while Billy begged for his life, saying, Please don't take my life. I've got three little children and a very sickly wife. Stagger Lee shot him anyway, according to the bartender's story. He shot him up so bad that the bullet went through Billy and broke the bartender's tinted glass. That's the version that Lloyd Price took to number one on the pop charts in 1959. Then there's the blues versions, the most popular of which was sung by Mississippi John Hurt. And that story goes like this. Stagger Lee was a desperator. And you know, Stagger Lee, him and his partners arrived robbed the coal mine one time. Get me right. All right, they go down the coal mine. The boys had got paid off having a little game. Money all over the floor. Staggering his partner got himself placed. It says, hey, boys. They said, yeah. So what if old Staggerly and them was walking here? One guy built at the line had stole his Stetson hat, and he thought everything was all right. Didn't make any difference if it was built at the line. He picked up a 44. He says, ah, says gun won't, Staggerly's gun won't shoot a bit harder than this. About this time, Staggerly's partner knocked his hat off with a bullet. See, he got his nerve, he dropped his gun. This guy... He has a wife and two children. They come here begging, please don't take my life. I got two little babies and a darling loving wife. Oh, yeah? Another guy went to take it up, you see? See what I mean? He rushed for his gun. Bullets sent at him right between the eyes. All right, that settled him. When they got the money and was going on, Stag's partner was crying. He says, oh, you got wheat. Billy Lyon, who thought himself to be a bad man, was part of a gang that had just robbed a coal mine, and they were gambling with the money they had stolen. Then Staggalee arrives, and Billy somehow steals his hat, which was considered to have some magic qualities to it. Staggalee kills Billy with his forty-four, shooting him four times. Then the song takes us to the trial, and Staggerly gets the rope. The two songs only have a few things in common, Staggerly and Billy, the caliber of the gun, a forty-four, the Stetson hat, and the fact that Staggerly shot Billy. Did it happen at all? Was there a Staggerly? And what did happen? Where? And why? There is a real story here, and it's quite different than the ones that have been sung all these years. We'll get to the story in just a minute. Thank you. 
1001 Heroes is enjoyed worldwide and can be found at all podcaster sites like iTunes and podbay.fm, to name a few, as well as our website at www.1001storiespodcast.com. You can also chime in at facebook.com forward slash 1001heroes, H-E-R-O-E-S. We really appreciate it when you share our show with others. That's how we grow. And now, our story. A supportive work environment can help everyone working in schools stay resilient. Just finding people that can reassure me that I'm doing my best and that there are people out there who understand me and can help me through these situations. You are not alone. Leaning on each other, uh, colleagues in education, is, is essential. You have to. We take care of one another. Find what helps at cdcfoundation.org slash how right now. That's cdcfoundation.org slash how right now. St. Louis, Missouri, by the late 1880s, was the fourth largest city in America, following New York, Philadelphia, and Chicago, and hosted more rail lines than any other city in America. Manufacturing was booming, and people from all over the South were coming to St. Louis to find work. Blacks in post-Civil War America found it rough going. Segregation was still in place, black schools were rare, and the fight for equal rights was only beginning. In the black neighborhoods of St. Louis, neighborhoods like Deep Morgan, which was centered on Biddle Street in North St. Louis, ragtime artists and blues artists flourished, along with saloons and brothels and their assortment of colorful characters. Stack Lee Shelton was one of these colorful characters. He had been born in 1865 in Texas and eventually migrated to St. Louis, where he became a carriage driver, where he soon earned a reputation as a pimp and a gambler and also served as a part owner in an all-black 400 club, a political and social club with a very dubious reputation. According to John and Alan Lomax, who researched the origins of the song and were the first people to get a recorded version of it, Shelton got the nickname Stack from a riverboat called the Stack Lee, owned by the Lee family of Memphis. He was described by Cecil Brown, author of Stag Lee Shot Billy, as anything but a common pimp, He belonged to a group of pimps known as the Max. The Max weren't just urban strollers. They presented themselves as objects to be observed. When Stack Lee Sheldon entered Bill Curtis's saloon on Christmas night, 1895, he was dressed in a pair of tailored shoes known as St. Louis Flats with almost no heels and toes pointing upward. On the top of the shoes were tiny mirrors that caught the electric light hanging overhead and sent sparkles upward onto the ceiling. A pair of dove-colored spats covered Shelton's shoe tops. Gray striped pants hung over his spats. The flaps of his black box-back coat fell open to reveal an elaborately patterned red velvet vest and a yellow embroidered shirt with a celluloid standing collar that kept his chin high in the air. Knuckle-length sleeves almost covered the gold rings on his manicured fingers. His left hand clutched the gold head of an ebony walking cane. The other hand held a long cigar in his mouth. On his head was a high roller, milk-white Stetson. Along the hat band was an embroidered picture of his favorite girl, Lily. 
Shelton then spotted his friend Billy Lyons standing at the bar and joined him for a drink. Lyons worked as a levy hand and didn't dress with the flash of the Max. He was not a wealthy man, but he was well-connected. His sister was married to Harry Bridgewater, one of the richest men in St. Louis and a leader in the Republican Party. Both men drank and talked amiably most of the evening, but when the discussion turned to politics, the exchange became heated. Billy was a Republican, like his brother-in-law. Stack Lee was aligned with a growing faction of St. Louis Democrats. At one point, Shelton grabbed Lyons' derby hat and broke the form. Lyons then demanded six bits from Shelton to replace it, and Stack refused. Then Lyons pulled Stack's Stetson hat off, at which point Stack pulled out his Smith & Wesson 44. Remember the lyrics from the Jim Croce song, You Don't Mess Around With Jim? They go, You don't tug on Superman's cape, you don't spit into the wind, you don't pull the mask off the old Lone Ranger, and you don't mess around with Jim. Well, in St. Louis in 1895, you didn't mess around with Stack. When the gun came out, the piano stopped playing, and the patrons headed for safety. Stack threatened to blow Lyon's brains out if he didn't give the Stetson back. Then he hit him over the head with his gun. At that point, Lyons, the helpless victim of too many drinks and a deadly dose of pride, pulled his knife, calling Shelton's bluff, and said to Shelton, You cockeyed son of a bitch, I'm going to make you kill me. Then he charged Shelton, but Shelton wasn't bluffing. He shot Billy Lyons in the stomach, coolly grabbed his Stetson from Lyons' hand, and walked out of the bar as if nothing had happened. Billy Lyons was moved to an infirmary, then to a hospital, where he died around 4 a.m. that morning. Stack Lee was home at 911 North 12th Street, sleeping it off when the St. Louis police came to arrest him, then taking him down to Chestnut Street Station. 911 North 12th Street, which was Stag Lee Shelton's house, was still standing a few years ago, although it was recently boarded up and for sale. It's the only house remaining on the block, directly across from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch Building. About 25 years ago, an alderman named Bruce Sommer ran a restaurant there called the Sommer House with live music, including old-time performers Cousin Curtis and the Cash Rebates and blues singer Tom Hall. Tom was not aware that he was singing in Stagger Lee's old house. If you have any recent information as to what is currently standing at that address in St. Louis, please join us at facebook.com slash 1001heroes and leave us a message. Your feedback will be greatly appreciated. Shelton was now in need of a high-priced lawyer, and he had the money, so he hired Colonel Nat C. Dryden, one of the finest criminal lawyers in St. Louis. The trial opened on July 15, 1896, and lasted two days. Dryden argued that Shelton had killed Lyons in self-defense. The jury deliberated for 22 hours, but could not agree on a verdict. The final polling had seven jurors for second-degree murder, two for manslaughter, and three for acquittal. With a hung jury, Shelton needed to be retried. The judge presiding over that trial was Judge Nathan B. Young, who was the first African-American circuit judge in the state, and he had talked to a lot of people who knew Stack Lee Shelton and Billy Lyons. According to legend, the judge, who lived to age 100 or thereabouts, said that Stack had gone to a hoodoo woman and obtained a spell to increase his sexual prowess. The talisman for that spell was his Stetson hat and the fact was well known in that community. So when Lyons snatched that hat off Lee's head, it was a serious insult indeed. As bad luck would have it, attorney Nat Dryden died on August 26, 1897, before Shelton could be retried. There's no surviving record of the second trial, but it didn't work out well for Stack,
because by October 7th, he was doing 25 years hard labor at the Missouri State Pen in Jefferson City. He was paroled in 1909 by Missouri Governor Joseph Wingate Folk, but Shelton broke into a man's home and murdered him, landing him back in prison just two years later. He died in the hospital at the Missouri State Pen on March 11, 1912. They were already singing his song in the levees and fields, a song which would be recorded more than 350 times by as many artists in the next hundred years. The first evidence for the song being performed in public was soon after the first trial, when Stacko Lee was performed by Professor Charles Lee, the piano thumper, the performance of which was noted in the Kansas City Leavenworth Herald in 1897. The song was well known in the African-American communities along the lower Mississippi River by 1910 when musicologist John Lomax received a partial transcription of the song from a woman in Texas who told him this song was sung by the Negroes on the levee while they're loading and unloading the river freighters. And in 1911, two versions were published in the Journal of American Folklore by the sociologist and historian Howard W. Odom. In the 1001 Heroes episode, Lead Belly, we talk at length about the efforts of John Lomax and his son to record and document much of the early songs of the South, thanks to a grant from the Smithsonian. The song was first recorded by Fred Waring's Pennsylvanians in 1923, and it became a hit. Another version was recorded later that year by Frank Westphal and his Regalty Novelty Orchestra. And Herb Whiteout and his band recorded the song in 1924. Also in 24, the first version with lyrics was recorded as Skeggly Blues by Lovey Austin. Ma Rainey recorded the song the following year with Louis Armstrong on cornet, and a notable version was recorded by Frank Hutchinson in 1927. Fast forward to New Orleans native Lloyd Price, who 50s vinyl record enthusiasts will tell you was one of the great rockers of his time. He originally scored six top ten hits in 1952-53, then was drafted into the U.S. Army and sent to Korea. While there, he wasted no time putting together a military band and stayed busy touring Korea and Japanese bases, where a part of his stage act involved the retelling of Stagger Lee. As Lloyd recalled, there were hundreds of lyrics for the old song, but no story. While entertaining the troops, I had put together a little play based on it. I'd have soldiers acting out the story while I sang it. When he returned to civilian clothes, Lloyd resettled in Washington, D.C. There he joined with an old buddy named Harold Logan to form KRC Records as a vehicle to relaunch Lloyd's recording career. His song, Just Because, immediately put him back in the top 10 R&B and crossed over to pop when the record was released on ABC Paramount as part of their buyout of KRC. At this point, Lloyd became an ABC recording artist and returned to his New Orleans roots with a rewrite of his old army skit, this time spelled Staggerly. In Korea, Lloyd never thought the playlet could be a hit record, but it soon became a sensation, at one point selling nearly 200,000 copies a day and rapidly shot the number one on the pop charts. But Dick Clark wasn't happy about it. Although Lloyd had appeared on American Bandstand and even Clark's Saturday Night Show with the original version, Dick decided to end the violence. The shooting and blood were too much for his teen TV audience. Lloyd had no choice. He had to go back into the studio and record a whole new cleaned-up version of the story with, believe it or not, a happy ending. Stagger Lee and Billy actually made up and became friends again. Too bad Billy Lyons wasn't really that lucky. 
In Tony Cullen's Stagger Lee, a historical look at the urban legend, Cullen looks at the value of blues music in our folk traditions where Stagger Lee has played a major role. According to Cullen, blues music is a form of African-American folk tradition. It traces its roots to Africa and the Christian gospel influence of the slavery era. As with all forms of folk expression, it relies heavily on traditional myths. Certain characters come back again and again. Blues performers would either copy a previous version, though they would still probably claim authorship, rework the old story to suit their style, or add to it to put a new twist on the story. One such character who shows up all over blues tradition, and from there into blues recordings, R&B, rock and roll, and folk tales is Stagger Lee. Variously spelled Stackley, Stagley, Stackley, Stackerly, Skiggly, and others, Stackley was always a bad man. Julius Lester in his Black Folk Tales said, Stagley as undoubtedly and without question the baddest that ever lived. Blues singers had little difficulty with giving Stag all sorts of characteristics. Like knocking on heaven's door for rock, Staggerly was a song which everyone in blues played. There are at least 63 documented recordings, and there are probably more, as well as countless unrecorded live versions. A list of recordings of Stagger Lee is like reading a who's who in blues, with such names as Jesse Fuller, Mississippi John Hurt, Furry Lewis, Mississippi Slim, Ma Rainey, and a host of others. With so many versions, tracing the history of Stag is somewhat difficult. Everyone seems to have an answer as to the origins of the tale, but most sources contradict each other. As with many other blues songs, Stagger Lee eventually made it to R&B and rock and roll. The earliest version of Stagger Lee is neither a blues nor a white folk song, and an obvious bridge to the later rock versions was Lloyd Price's version, which was a hit in 59. In it, he has Stag and Billy gambling in the dark. The fatal argument ensues over an argument about Stag's roll of the dice. Stag threw a seven, and Billy swore that his roll was an eight. Stag gets upset because Billy won his money, and perhaps, more importantly, his Stetson hat. Stag goes home and gets his 44. He goes to a bar and, finding Billy there, shoots him from across the bar. Like many of its folk legend counterparts, like John Henry and Jesse James, the story of Staggerly has taken on a life of its own in the past 120 years, and the real story doesn't quite live up to the bad men of legend. We hope you enjoyed this episode of 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries. You can enjoy all our shows at podcatcher sites like iTunes and podbay.fm, where you can subscribe free. Doing this puts the show on your favorites tab, and you'll see a reminder there every time we release a new episode. You can also chime in at facebook.com forward slash 1001heroes, where our fans like to leave comments and share. Yes, it's Share Our Show Week. You can share it straight from iTunes or from Facebook. We really appreciate shares. It helps our show to grow. Also, we just started a page at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. This is a special funding site where people go and pledge a little bit, as little as a dollar a month, to help our show. This is less than a cup of Starbucks to help fund all that we do here, and it is really appreciated. We appreciate you listeners most of all. 1001 Heroes is now heard in over 100 countries, and we are very grateful to have you out there. Until next time, this is your host and storyteller, John Hagedorn, and this is our story.
Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. <laughs> 